The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. I'm your moderator this evening. My name is Ed Lucy, and I have as my guest tonight Ryan O'Malley, who is currently the counselor from Ward 4 here in Morning, in Malden. And before we get into the program, I would just like to take a moment to give an acknowledgement to, to the family of James Mudge. James is a vo programming volunteer coordinator here at MATV, and he's one of the people that deals directly with our show, and I'm very responsible for being on a weekly basis. This past week, James lost his mother, and the services are going to be tomorrow, and that's part of the reason he's not able to be here this evening to, to direct the show. But again, on behalf of the people affiliated with 02148, I would like to extend our sympathies and support to James in his bereavement. And we have uh, Ryan O'Malley, who was a ward for, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, city council, second term. Second term. Um, I'm always kind of curious because um, uh, sometimes when you when you first get elected, you have a perception of the job, and then when you start to realize that there are a lot of things that you thought you had known about, you the things that surprised you and things didn't always feel, feel into a, an easy pattern to develop. But I think after a couple of years, you get more seasoned and more experienced, or does it? not change. You definitely get the hang of it. Um, I think uh, we all know when uh, I first joined the council, I was quite a firebrand. and uh, Was? That's a past tense? Uh, you know, <laughs> I have my days. Um, you know, you, you, you do learn the ropes. And uh, after going through it a, a few times, because, you know, every year it's pretty much the same process. Uh, now, as you're kind of watching it, it's only when things are going differently than how they usually go that you need to kind of perk your ears up and say, what's going on there? Now, um, w w the first term uh, you were in, what did you find that were uh, challenging that you didn't anticipate or you did and you got yourself involved in some of those issues two years ago? Yeah, I think that uh, when I first ran for office, um, one of the big things I ran on was infrastructure, um, reinvesting in our infrastructure. Uh, I knew the roads were bad. I, I knew I knew we had those challenges. I knew the uh, having grown up in Malden Public Schools, I knew we had challenges with maintaining our public buildings. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me was finding out that Malden has the highest percentage of lead service lines, lead pipes in the state. Uh, that was a pretty big wake-up call for me. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that was interesting about your ward, um, you know, the rest sections of the city, whether it's seven or five, with, with people think of Forestdale, and Ward 2 is Edgeworth, and Bell Rock were Ward 1. But... Um, Ward 4 is split by Main Street. You know, you have a, one of the precincts is obviously Oak Grove, and then you have the other precinct. And so it's not like uh, everybody is kind of touching them because that street does divide the ward. So you have really two different groups that you represent in, in, in your ward. I would, say we ha <clears throat> I would say we have about five. Um, uh, you basically have a little part of almost every ward that you touch. We have part of Ward 3 in the Oak Grove, as you're referring to. We have a bit of Oak uh, Ward 5 as you go up towards uh, like Pine Banks. Uh, we have a bit of, you know, uh, the Malden Center feeling, a little bit of Ward 2 as you get towards the train station. So it's kind of a, a little conglomeration of all the different wards mixed together in the middle. Yeah. 
Um, do you do you get different requests from the Oak Grove section as opposed to the the, the part of the ward uh, that's on the other side of Main Street, the li- in the area of the library? You know, um, I I don't think so. I think that the big the big concerns people have um, are are pretty consistent across the city. Um, you know, our infrastructure, uh, our roads, the quality of our roads, the quality of our sidewalks, our underground infrastructure, uh, parking is a huge uh, issue all across the city. Um, I would say that while there may be specific things like the library or the Oak Grove Community Center that make things a little different or Waits Mount, if you live up by Waits Mount, um, those things are a little bit different in terms of the specific landmarks. Uh, but the issues that Maldonians are facing are pretty consistent. Yeah. You mentioned parking. I, um, my experience up until fairly recently was uh, more, more noticeably when uh, the CVS was here in Marlin Square when I would get, go down to get my prescriptions, it was very f- difficult to get a parking space. And I, I'd end up most days either rolling the dice and park on Dartmouth Street and run into the CVS, get in and out quick. Or the other option would be, uh, m- most times, would be go down to Exchange Street, find space there, and then walk over to CVS. But s- since they put in the meters, and it, obviously they, they get to be an inconvenience in one way in that uh, you have to pay attention, make sure you don't run over the time. Uh, but I do find, um, even when I come to MATV, uh, there's sometimes, and oftentimes, there'd be space on the pleasantry, which there wasn't before. So, and that's, I think it's, that's, that should be a plus for the business. But you also have a, a issues with parking in neighborhoods because of mm-hmm. the multi-unit houses, and you have some of that in your your district. And then, of course, you have the, the limited amount of parking spaces on the street. Absolutely. I mean, the the fact that we have two train stations is a draw. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, and that's in your ward. Yeah, and you know, we have the the large um, uh, parking structures in downtown. Uh, we have the parking lots at the trains. Um, those are driving people from all across the North Shore to come and park in our community. Uh, one of the things I've said before, and I will say it again. You know, I think that our our land is more valuable than being just parking lots. And I think that we should be uh, investing in open space, recreational opportunities, uh, business opportunities, commercial space, uh, so that we aren't using so much of our space for for other communities to park here, but instead for our residents to have jobs, uh, places to live, and places to to recreate. Uh, Well, how much help has it been to have that resident parking program? The, program. I would say that the, the resident parking program works pretty good in the areas that it is currently implemented. Um, we are, as a city council and, and as an administration, looking at um, coming up with a new parking program citywide. Uh, and, the, and the reason being is uh, we do want to kind of get ahead of this. Uh, and we are sensitive to the fact that it won't work in every location. Uh, and one of the lines that I drew in the sand early on is that uh, I believe the parking program should not cost Malden residents additional money than our excise tax. So if you pay your excise tax, you should be able to pay, uh, you should be able to park in, in front of your house or, or in your neighborhood. Yeah. The, um, the kinds of issues that you've been involved in this on your second term, uh, as opposed to the what you looked at and what you got yourself involved in and, and, and uh, learned about in your first term, the, the th- what are the important things you feel that have happened while you've been on the council this past couple of years? It's a completely different world now. Um, when I first joined the council, to be completely honest with you and candid, uh, it was a very, um, <clears throat> very controversial, combative uh, environment. Um, it was not respectful, um, and unfortunately, the overall dialogue uh, declined because of that. Uh, in recent years, it, the dialogue and the respectful di- and the respectful debate that is happening on the city council uh, is is night and day. Yeah. So I just now we're able to work together in a much more efficient and effective manner. Without getting personal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, now you you had one issue uh, the uh, the bags. Where was that at? They, they, they want to ba- some communities have already done it, mm-hmm. and it's now become an issue in Malden about uh, the considering. Uh, uh, banning bags, which primarily would be shopping bags. Yeah, um, you know, one of the one of the tenets um, uh, of my kind of candidacy and, and my term on the council has been, you know, open space and, and the environment. Um, Councilor Kamel, uh, with the help of uh, and actually being led by the community, which wrote a, a ban on single-use plastic bags. 
um, which gathered over, I think, over 250 signatures. Uh, we had multiple public forums and public meetings. Uh, very, very uh, little opposition to, the, to this ordinance, uh, which really shows how widespread the, the acceptance of something like this is. Because I think we see the bags in the trees. We see the bags in the water. You know, we have a Malden River, which is beautiful. Uh, and, and to see all of the plastic trash that's getting into our environment, I think it really, it's a moral issue as well as a, an economic issue. Um, yeah, if, if you're able to treat your direct community and your neighborhood uh, the way you do by leaving trash and bottles and plastic bags on the street, what does that say about how you respect yourself? So I think as, as a community, we've realized that we, are, we respect ourselves more than that. And we shouldn't just allow uh, plastic and uh, plastic waste to just be floating around the neighborhood, which is one of the reasons why we're looking uh, in the ordinance committee uh, to to require uh, recycling and trash to be stored in barrels. Uh, one of the issues we have with the smaller, you know, 15 gallon little uh, bins is that on a windy day, I think we all know they blow down the street, and so does all of the recycling. Uh, so how can we kind of be proactive to make sure that that's not happening? It will save us money in the long run because right now we have our sweepers out there daily when they could, our DPW could be doing other things. Uh, and the amount of maintenance it takes when you're sweeping up all of this refuse, uh, it puts a wear and tear on our machines. One of the things, um, uh, as an observer, uh, I, I occasionally walk in the, the neighbor to get a little exercise. And, and I think in, in recent times, the, uh, the city's been much more aggressive about sticking with a schedule for cleaning the streets. And I think there's obviously way, you know, you can find spots that it's a problem. Sometimes the problem, uh, I, I think, is because there are people that park on the street because there's a limited amount of options, and therefore when the sweepers come by, they have to go around the car. So those, that section is uh, uh, missed because it's not the fault of the city or the, or the workers. It's the fact that people leave their cars in the city that they forget or they... They don't have a place to put it. This would be particularly true in the cold weather. But overall, I think the city's done a good job in keeping the streets clean. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that we've also been uh, making sure to do is uh, really get the word out about parking restrictions. Yeah. And one of the one of the complaints we've we've heard for for many years now is that there is not enough signage. And I think we all know that that's true. Uh, the question was how do we how do we how do we implement that? How do we roll out new signage? What should the signs say? Uh, especially as we're now planning to do a uh, citywide potential parking program, we didn't want to implement something that would then uh, contradict what we're looking to pass uh, pass down the line. Uh, so through the leadership of Ron Hogan and the parking department and the administration, uh, they're rolling out uh, citywide uh, signs so that people do know when parking, uh, when street sweeping is, and the other regulations on the street. Yeah. Now, the, the, if you if you do get uh, parked, uh, caught parking, and and, and you, you you impede on the sweep, it's what a fifty dollar fine, isn't it? Yes, um, I, yeah, I believe so. That's 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 the number. Have, have they considered changing that? Because that was a decision. Of, uh, I, I think more uh, from the DPW commissioners and the and the police department than it was the the administration at the time it was implemented. I would almost think the twenty five was a is a lesson to learn for someone that leaves his car on the street. You know, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, you know, there have there have been so what I found out uh, from from Karen Anderson, the former city clerk, who is a wealth of knowledge, probably the the the, the most. Uh, institutional knowledge this community has uh, was that actually the traffic commission voted to increase these fines to $50 back in the 70s right? Oh. and that they never were actually implemented. Didn't know that. And, and so when they took the vote again, it was really reaffirming what was decided in the 70s. Um, now that doesn't mean it's, it's, that doesn't really mean too much because it wasn't implemented. Um, but I would think that the, the traffic commission, which is in charge of this, realize that it is important that uh, we are able to keep our streets clean. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so it's 50. It's 50. And at the moment, it's not going to, you have no awareness that it might redu be reduced. It's, a, it's sometimes hard to get it in the first place, but once it's, once it's uh, assessed, then it's, a, it's difficult sometimes to get it reduced. Uh, like anything, whether it, whether it, whether it's the blue bags or, the, or 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 any revenue source, once you have a revenue source and, and you're and you're expending it on on vital services that the city provides, yeah. it is difficult to to eliminate that. Um, it's very rare that you're going to find a new revenue source, um, and I think that's something that we we try to do with, for instance, 
you know, the state passed the, uh, the decriminalized um, re- recreational marijuana. Uh, I think that that present, presents a, a new revenue source that gives us some unique opportunities that we should be thinking outside the box. Uh, one of the things that we decided to do as a council uh, at the leadership of Paul Hammersley and, and Paul Condon was to make sure that any revenue sources uh, from uh, recreational marijuana would go into public health, uh, really to, to combat drug addiction in the city because uh, we all realize that that's quite an epidemic that uh, we should be taking seriously. Mm-hmm. So any profit, pro- proceeds that come from the taxation of marijuana in Malden will be going to public health. Yeah. How close are we in Malden to actually have a site that will dispense uh, marijuana? I'm not too sure. Uh, so actually, this this year, I'm, I'm not the chair of ordinance. I, I was the chair of ordinance last year. Um, so it's and we do have a, a cannabis committee or, or a board that's uh, headed by, I believe, the police chiefs on it. I think we have the building commissioner, Ron Hogan, from the from the uh, traffic department. He wears a lot of hats. He wears a lot of hats. This is true. <laughs> uh, they're kind of now in charge of that. I believe they're they're collecting uh, applications for that. Yeah. So we haven't anticipated any budget, uh, that source of money being in the budget for the coming year. No, I don't, we're not going to have any windfall this coming yeah, year. Yeah. The, um, the kinds of issues that you've had to deal with the last two years as far as not just your own ward, but just say citywide, you have kind of fixed in your mind some of the things you've been involved in? Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, you know, aside from the infrastructure, uh, open space and recreation has really been uh, a big part of my priorities. Um, you know, Quartemly, which is in my ward, has uh, seen a lot of investments recently, almost almost $300,000 in, in direct investment through the Community Development Block Grant. Right now, they're out there doing a, a lighting construction project uh, to make sure that the park is lit at night, making sure it's safe. Uh, the Malden River, uh, we talked about it earlier related to the trash. Uh, I think the Malden River is one of, one of the crown jewels of our community. Uh, it's just been forgotten for hundreds of years because it was behind so many factories. Um, but now that uh, the Friends of the Malden River and the Mystic River Watershed Association have really kind of helped highlight that resource, uh, you now see more people in the community realizing there's a river. You now see more uh, businesses building paths along the river. It's a resource that should be celebrated and taken care of. Yeah. The, um, the Community Preservation Act, they finally got that off the ground. They, they actually it took a couple of years of to really put it all together. But th- I saw in the newspaper there was an article that was published relative to the, 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 the apparently a sub- significant amount of the actual uh, allocations this year was earmarked for just one one project. That, well, that was for the Salemwood School. Yeah, so the Roosevelt Field at the Salemwood yeah. School. Um, yeah, that, that, that brought up a lot of discussion, um, and I think it was good discussion. Um, one of the things we saw with that, well, I think it is, it's a great project. Um, I think that community engagement is important. Uh, and there was uh, a rather large group of people, uh, particularly some teachers at the Salemwood School and people that lived in the area and parents of children at the Salemwood School uh, that were concerned about uh, long-term exposure to the materials that are in uh, a turf field. Uh, the rubber pellets that you have in a turf field are usually made from old tires. And there are a number of carcinogens in in, in that material. Uh, so the city, and I took that very seriously. Um, my father passed away from cancer in 2012. Um, I went to the Salemwood School. I was the first seventh grade class there. I signed the beam when they built it. And I think what would it have been like for me or, or my child or my grandchild to have started in kindergarten at the Salemwood School and went all the way to eighth grade, spending that much time on a field potentially with a carcinogen in it. Uh, so the city has decided to be proactive, and I'm very grateful to that, uh, to look into alternative uh, materials that aren't made of tires. And I think that if we can get that, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but I think if we can get that, the, I think the health and wellness of our children at the Elmwood should definitely take precedence. Well, one of the, one of the uh, arguments or comments that the article made was that, that the, on the short term was less money to do it the way they were projected to do it, but then in the long run it's it's going to be more costly to maintain, so therefore maybe some other way to, to do the same thing, even if there's a, a, a greater cost. Now, I'm just so, I guess I was a little surprised that when I read the article, and, and, and I was aware of the various groups that had applied, that so much of the money was focused on one part of the, the city, uh, which normally you would think where the, the funds are generated by cross-section of taxes, that they would have spread the money around more evenly with a bunch of other 
projects. Even if they were the same ones, they would have either done more money for them or the, than the added ones. So uh, that, that's just an observation in my own mind. So. I, think, I think Roosevelt Park uh, is pretty centrally located. So if you're going to spend a large amount of money, uh, I think that it's a good location to, to spend that. Yeah. Just because of its, not just because of its centrally located uh, setup, but I think it's also a good project. Yeah. Like I said, I think that the work that the administration is going through, uh, Gary Christensen's administration, to make sure that what we do is going to be healthy for the kids, I think is very honorable. I know Barbara Murphy, the Ward 5 counselor, has also uh, been making sure that that's a priority. So yeah. I appreciate that they're putting that effort in. Yeah, the, um, the the city didn't go along with short-term rentals. I was a little surprised at that. I thought it's, the, the pluses were were more than the, far more advantageous to the community for a number of different reasons. Some of which were revenue generated, and uh, the other thing would be even equally important. You'd be able to uh, kind of zero in on people that are, that are doing that. In which case, you could ensure that they adhere to the safety issues when they're renting it out to other people. But there wasn't a strong support for that at all? Yeah, I think the, I think the thing with short-term rental, you mean like Airbnb and things like that? Yes. Yeah, I think the thing with, with short-term rentals, it's a very complicated topic. Um, there are, like anything, people abuse circumstances, and people can either be good neighbors or bad neighbors, um, or they can be somewhere in the middle. Um, with short-term uh, rentals, I know that uh, state building code is a little bit unclear here, well, whether or not it's even allowed um, in a residential unit. Uh, and then I do know stories of people that were, especially back during 2008 crisis, the financial crisis, who maybe lost their job, but they happened to own a two-family home. Uh, and they were able to kind of make ends meet by uh, doing an Airbnb type situation. Um, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong or anything. I just think it's a very complicated topic. And, and I think a lot of the confusion stems from the fact that the state and the Commonwealth has very unclear laws about whether or not this is even allowed. But they're doing it in other communities. Uh, you know, they, they, they have regulations. Boston has it, obviously. And, uh, and sometimes, from what I understand, is that it's – it's far more frequent than I was aware of. This apparently even in Malden, there's literally a, a, a very large number of people. And in fact, I, I think there are occasions when people don't want to rent their their apartment if it's let's say a two-family to a family on a 12-month basis. They'd rather have short-term and, and it generates more money. And maybe uh, the money isn't always visible in terms of their income. You know the way they was being paid for. So I, again, I was really surprised at the. The city didn't move more in that direction. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, actually, uh, Boston City Councilor Michelle Wu, uh, who I respect very much, uh, she's kind of made this one of her central tenets um, because of the fact that you, by renting out your apartment uh, through Airbnb or a short-term rental, you're taking that housing unit out of the stock, that's another which thing, then yeah. drives up housing costs. Uh, and that's huge for the Boston area. Uh, it's going to become even bigger as the casino opens, and I think it's something that we need to look at really closely. Um, but I think to, to do it on a piecemeal basis, city by city, uh, isn't going to be successful. I think this is such a large issue that it, the state really needs to step in. I know the legislature has tried to do something with this. Um, I think it needs to be kind of more substantial. Uh, and like I said, the state building code is not in sync with state law. Uh, or, or vice versa. State law is not in sync with the building code about whether or not you can even have a short-term rental like this. Yeah. Do, does the city anticipate they'll have some uh, of that happening in the future because of the casino, or is that they feel won't be an, much of an issue for Marlin for people generating short-term rentals for uh, people that go to casinos? Um, I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but my, my, anecdotally, I think that having something as big as a, a casino right on our border uh, is going to be a draw for people to, uh, who might not be able to afford to stay at the hotel. Uh, we don't have any, we have very, I don't think we have any hotels in Malden. I think we have a few uh, smaller motels. Uh, but that's something else I've been, I've been really pushing for. Uh, we changed the zoning around the river, which is industrial one and two, uh, to allow and encourage hotels. Um, I think that what we should be seeing happening along the river in order to get that development along the river and the new open space and, and paths along the river, we need to encourage commercial development. We need to encourage retail development. And I think that if we could get some hotels along the Malden River 
that maybe had a dedicated water shuttle to the casino, I, I think that we would be one of the best destination. One of the best destinations on the North Shore, or all of Massachusetts. Our square is thriving. Restaurants, city hall is almost complete uh, in terms of opening the street up, uh, and I think it's a golden opportunity to get something like a hotel on the Malden River. Mm. Uh, the what's the tentative date for us? Um, for City Hall to move actually back to uh, Pleasant Street uh, on the one on the one site. So it's it, toward the end of the year. So there was there was a bit of a delay. Um, nation, the national grid lockout uh, really caused a lot of issues uh, statewide. Uh, it actually uh, had an impact on our on our GDP. Uh, it was that big of a deal. Uh, so many projects couldn't keep up and couldn't get connected. Uh, that there's been a, a long wait list of getting gas mm-hmm. service connected. Uh, so that really set us back significantly, um, and we're looking more towards the end of the year. Uh, and there's a chance it could even be in the beginning of uh, 2020. Okay. Um, now, in the, in terms of downtown, is, is the, the high-rise issue kind of put the bed figuratively in that uh, there's, if cities cap the height of buildings and do you – do you see or are you aware of any more developments going up in the city? Um, I don't know of any specific developments that are, that are going up. Um, I think that this 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 topic about about the height of buildings has been probably one of the the, the most misinterpreted uh, situation in the city. Contentious. And, yeah. yeah. Well, no, contentious for sure, but I think it's also just been intentionally misrepresented. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, we had in the past, I think at the end of 2017, uh, an effort to, uh, no, the end of, yeah, 2017, there was an effort to, to push through a, a, what I considered not complete ordinance. Uh, and it was looking to cap the height of buildings downtown to six stories. Um, I, I represent downtown. Uh, the property owners downtown have certain property rights uh, as owners of any property, the same way you have property rights. And one of the big circumstances that we had is the fact that the elevation between Pleasant Street and Exchange Street is so significant that it's one story. Uh, so if you have six stories on Pleasant Street, that's seven stories on Exchange Street. So the argument that I was making back then was we need to make sure that the, the, the max is at least seven stories so that we aren't making a number of properties, including our own city hall development, uh, pre-existing non-conforming. Now, if you have a pre-existing non-conforming structure, it makes it very difficult for you to do anything in the future. And it's a a lot of administrative overhead for our planning department, uh, as well as the city council and the administration. So I think we got to a great compromise ordinance. Uh, Councillor Murphy, myself, and Councillor Spadafora, and I believe also Councillor Matheson co-sponsored that that zoning ordinance change. And we now have that uh, implemented in the the downtown. But I do want to say one caveat. Um, Whenever you cap the height of something, uh, you're then requiring that development to go out. And as I said earlier, our property in Malden is very valuable, and the last thing I would want to see is a development uh, that would like to build, say, seven stories or, or whatever stories, eight stories, we'll say, uh, rather than being able to go up or they would require to go out. We've lost a lot of historic structures. Uh, you know, we have the Masonic building that was luckily, be able, that was luckily to be able to be saved, uh, but there used to be a sister building directly next door to it. Uh, that was knocked down by combined properties. Uh, there is just an, uh, so many examples, even the City Hall project, which is a great project, and I think it's going to save our downtown, but we lost the first congregational church. If the City Hall project had been allowed to go up one additional story, there's a possibility we might have been able to save the first congregational church. It could have been a community center. It could have been a performing arts center. It could have been a theater. You know, we don't really. Could have been a church. It could have been a church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I know the congregational. Uh, I know that they moved into a, uh, a smaller unit on Washington Street, um, towards the Melrose border. I know their congregation is, is is much smaller than it used to be. So I don't know if they were going to be able to maintain it as a church. But you're right. It could have been another church. Yeah, I was. Um, that was a little surprising to me because I, I had occasion for, for services that that I attended there and. Uh, on occasion over the years, and I was very impressed with the interior of the church. It had a, it's beautiful, and, and the congregational church had a long history in Malden. I was a little surprised, but 
they had some financial issues that that had kind of ex- accelerated over the years, and the result was that made it maybe not viable as a, as a with a declining attendance and a, whatever. And then in the meantime, some financial stuff, but. It was a, a handsome building. Uh, it, yeah. it was, and, and actually towards the end of it, I just happened to be walking by as they were taking the bell out of the bell tower. Uh, oh. Was, I, have, I have a video of it. It was, oh. it was, a, pretty, uh, it was a pretty sad scene. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the bell will make a reappearance in the, in the plaza next to City Hall. Uh, so it will live on in spirit. Uh, and I think that one of the things we all need to realize is that, you know, uh, it is a building in the end, and it was a beautiful building, and I wish it could have been preserved. Yeah. Uh, but there are things that are, I think, uh, more uh, lasting than that. Yeah. yeah. The um, now the casino is tentatively scheduled, and supposedly, as I understand, it's on time. But by the end of June, they're going to open, and that will that will trigger the city's generating revenue from the casino, which I think will be about a million dollars. Yeah, a million dollars a year from and the then casino. An inflationary factor in there too. I think for two and a half percent. So, uh, Ron Hogan again, as a name you mentioned earlier, he was involved in that, and um, I, I had him on my show. And, and uh, I think uh, the results of, as far as Marlin was concerned, we did better than some other communities who did want, uh, a couple of opt to go to legal route, which meant they they spent money for lawyers, and, and they ended up in the courts. And the way the thing was set up. Uh, they had to go to arbitration of sorts. So they, anyway, more than end up with more money and yeah. no legal expense. Yeah, we were the first at the table to say, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, we would like to work with you uh, when a lot of other communities uh, took more of a uh, combative approach. Uh, that that did pay off in dividends for for mm-hmm. our community, mm-hmm. and we all in addition to the one million dollars that we'll get, uh, we also have the opportunity to go for various grants. Um, so, for instance, uh, Exchange Street will be done over uh, in this coming year, uh, fiscal year, federal fiscal year 2020, um, and that ha- w- the design of that was paid for by the uh, casino, a grant through the casino. Uh, in the gaming commission um, and the the funds to, to actually do the reconstruction which in the end will connect uh, the mbta orange line station uh, to the northern strand community trail with a dedicated bike lane um, that was completely funded through federal and state dollars so it cost the city of malden zero yeah a huge accomplishment for the administration uh, as well as the state delegation yeah. now the, does the city have in place a long-range plan for street repavement and updating um because I, I, I'm, there seems to be a lot of work going on now. I, now, uh, Forest Street's been done, which is a, a big plus, because when you think about it, maybe part of the reason it was in the poor condition it was because of all the funerals that were going on of Forest Street to uh, the Forest Dale. But now that that's been done, and I, there's some other streets over in that area are going to get done as well. And what streets in your ward are being uh, on the on the horizon actually the long-range planning for infrastructure is is really important Uh, one of the things i've been very clear with my constituents and with the city as a whole whenever i've talked about this is that when we prioritize infrastructure improvements you need to start with the underground infrastructure first it it would be foolish for us to repave a street to then six months down the line or two years down the line have to rip that street up to replace a lead pipe or a water main, or a gas line, or a sewer, or a storm drain. Um, so I have been very clear to my constituents that uh, the priority should always be the underground infrastructure first, which is the most expensive, uh, making sure that we get all of those things handled. And then once we have that handled, we can then do the road repaving. Uh, so on Main Street, uh, in addition to Forest Street, uh, when National Grid did their lockout, um, there were a number of incidents on Main Street that got to such a significant uh, concern for me uh, that I requested that the state legislature hold a hearing on the national grid incident uh, and the national grid lockout and, and the incidents that we saw up with Columbia Gas in the Merrimack Valley. Uh, when they had that hearing, it was a joint, it was a joint hearing between the Senate and the, uh, the House, uh, it was on telecommunications, uh, utilities, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, I submitted testimony basically saying, you know, there is a history of dangerous explosions and in, in, in natural gas incidents. It was at the state house. It was at the state house. Right. I didn't go. I submitted it in writing. Yeah. Um, but there was an explosion uh, at the intersection of Forest, uh, Florence Street and Main Street in 2016 that blew off 
a number of manhole covers. We have video and, and photos of, of the explosion. Uh, we had a, a, a national grid hit a gas line uh, outside of Dairy Delight on Main Street, uh, and there was a very large, very large gas leak at the intersection of, of Forest Street and Main Street. Uh, I detailed all of that, sent it to the, to, the, to the state, and basically said, you need to hold National Grid accountable. Uh, now, in addition to that, uh, working with Mayor Gary Christensen, he really made sure that he held National Grid's feet to the fire. Uh, he has a very good way of doing this, and he st stood on them and, and, and stayed on them uh, and was able to convince them, a National Grid, to proactively replace the gas main on Main Street. Now, the most crazy thing about this is Main Street had three gas mains, or currently has three gas mains, that were installed between 1915 and 1918. They're all over 100 years old. And now we are getting brand new gas mains on Main Street. They're going to go from three gas mains to one. Um, I'm very proud of that. I'm very thankful to the state delegation as well as Mayor Gary Christensen for helping make that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, now that we will have done the gas main, and now that we have replaced all of the lead service lines on Main Street from Clifton Street to the Melrose border, uh, this coming uh, fall, uh, all of Main Street will be repaved from the Melrose border to Clifton Street. Uh, you had earlier mentioned about uh, uh, the aged pipes and uh, lead pipes that we've had. And, uh, that's on a, a long-range program to eliminate them all. Are you, do you have many in your own area, your own ward? Yeah, the whole city is covered in them, unfortunately. Uh, there are clusters, there are areas of the city that have more than others. If you are interested in finding out if you have a lead pipe, uh, whether it's on the city side or the private side, uh, I recommend that you go to the city's website, the engineering page, uh, and they have information in a, in a GIS map, which will show the entire city. You can put in your address and it will tell you whether or not the city knows if it has a lead pipe or if you have a lead pipe. Uh, and then you can go from there. The city also has testing. But I, what I would recommend is your first step, go to the city's engineering website, find out do you have a lead pipe. If you do and you want to get it replaced, reach out to your ward counselor, reach out to the city, uh, and we can be proactive to make sure that we can take, a care, take care of it for you. One of the things, I don't know how much uh, the public is aware of it, but one of the issues was that if it was on your side of the, and your responsibility as a homeowner or the property owner, uh, it was a, a relatively expensive process to, to replace them. And, and the city did make available um, low, low financing costs if you did it. But uh, overall, did you, did you find that people responded favorably to that? Yeah, the, the MRA has zero interest loans uh, for anyone that is looking to replace a lead service line. Um, there is a income requirement there uh, that I don't know off the top of my head, uh, but if you reach out to the... It's reasonably liberal, I think. I, I believe so, and, and especially for a city like Malden. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's a great opportunity yeah. um, for you to, to try to remove a lead service line. Yeah. Uh, like, I'll, and I'll be honest with you. Um, we talked about the underground infrastructure versus the, the road. Um, and you talked about whether or not there are a lot of lead pipes in, in, in Ward 4. Um, there's one neighborhood, the the island, the Oak Island or Island Creek uh, neighborhood of Malden, which is over near Oak Grove, uh, which consists of Autumn, uh, Fairlawn, uh, Wedgemere, Rosemont, and Kenmore. Uh, that whole neighborhood knows very well uh, the amount of lead service lines that were replaced in their neighborhood. Uh, it was close to over 50 lead service lines on those five streets. Uh, so that's how significant it is. It's yeah. about 10 a street. Now, um, so the city would have a, a, a information in their files of all those <laughs> properties that potentially have that problem, the resolve. Because as I recall, what that was indicated was uh, some people, if they don't do anything about it now, if it's sometime in the near future, or far future for that matter, if they decide to sell the property, I think they have to replace the the, the uh, lead, lead pipe into, the, into their home at that time before they can transfer ownership. Is that is that my understanding correct? Yeah, a few years ago, um, we passed an ordinance to require the replacement of a lead service line whenever a property is, is sold. Um, it, it has been really kind of the windfall. Uh, we've been able to replace over the 150 that were required a year. The Mass Department of Environmental Protection, we have a consent order with them uh, that requires us to replace at least 150 lead service lines a year, lead pipes a year. Uh, and we've been far exceeding that, uh, and we believe it is because of the fact that uh, every time a property is sold, you have to make sure that there is no lead service yeah. lines. 
Although people sometimes shocked to find out that the sale is delayed because they didn't do it when they, early on and when they could have done it ahead of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that that is something that happens. Yeah. Uh, me personally, I, I have not received uh, any complaints about this program, yeah. um, but I'm sure there are people out there that, that do have uh, an issue with it. Um, it. It is something that will eventually end. Once, once all of our lead service lines are replaced and once we have a safe water system, there will no longer be a requirement to have that ordinance yeah. because we have replaced all of the lead service lines. Yeah. And I think that as a community, I think that the, the reasonable people or an irrational person will realize that, you know, for the sake of future generations, for the sake of our children, it's important that we remove lead from our water system. Yeah. I mean, they joke about saying that, you know, maybe the Roman Empire fell, uh, fell because they were drinking out of lead cups. And That's what they said about... Uh, <laughs> Nero. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, they, we he started out pretty good, and then he went, to, <laughs> he went over the edge. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think I think we know that lead is not good for us, yeah. uh, and and it, you can't bury your head in the sand. I think that's something that people do with lead paint, also. Yeah. You know, don't get your house tested because then you don't want to know. Uh, but I think it's important that we try our best to remove lead, whether it's in paint or, or in our pipes. Yeah, yeah you, you've um, your history on the council is relatively recent, but. Uh, there was a, a very controversial issue for it, it seemed to surface on a, on a regular basis even more often than just elections every other year. That was the blue bags. Do you find you get any kind of a flack on that issue anymore? I mean, it's been in place about ten years, so obviously, it's it's either accepted or tolerated one way or the other. You know, um, the blue bag discussion. Uh, you know, I, I, let me step back a bit. Um, I have been very concerned recently that there have been various papers submitted, uh, mostly by a particular counselor uh, who will remain nameless, who, have, who has been submitting papers that sound great in the news but make no financial sense. Um, one of those papers was the suggestion that uh, we, we currently, in our current financial system or, 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 or setup, uh, throw out the or partially throw out the, bla the blue bag system. Um, and do what? And go to a, a hybrid system where you have a, a barrel that has a GPS on it. Um, you know, I, I think that where we are right now uh, with, the, with the challenges that we face, whether it's roads or our water system, or, or our school system, uh, police, fire, DPW, where we are right now in our financial health, uh, I think it would be foolish for us to try to change this program right now, especially because something that no one anticipated has occurred recently. Uh, with everything going on on the national level and, and the tariffs that are now being um, put on other countries, China has stopped taking our recycling. So we happen to have uh, 10 years left in our contract uh, with uh, JRM. And we are paying much less than our communities around us for our trash disposal. In fact, what I've been told and what is, what is true is it's now costing JRM money to process our recycling and dispose of our recycling when it used to make money. And the real reason for that is the fact that China is no longer buying our recycling. So uh, there, there was no way for us to have envisioned that. So the current contract we have in the current in environment that we're living in uh, is very beneficial because it's saving us millions of dollars a year. Well, and I think one of the things that I don't think people are aware of, uh, before the BAGS were, program was implemented, the amount of waste that went in those into the rubbish was not controlled at all because people didn't concern themselves and the result, they didn't separate those things that were salvageable from what was going to go into the, the landfill. And as, once the bag program was implemented, then uh, it ended up, they were consciously aware they didn't want to be buying more bags than they needed to use, in which case a lot of people maybe ended up recycling items that before would have gone on the, into, into what a rubbish barrel or whatever. And the result is the, the, the more, more, more important to the community as a whole was the the cost of the the waste disposal in the land it was significantly reduced in because the city paid 
depending on the tonnage. And there was a lot of exactly. a lot of the tonnage never went in the landways once the blue bags were uh, uh, brought brought into usage, and therefore. There was a, there was a, a, not only was the revenue generated, which maybe was primary reason why maybe they had the blue bag, but there was a tremendous savings in in terms of what the city was spending to get rid of the the waste. So you know it was a twofold plus. Yeah, I mean you bring up you you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean the, the by the recycling program that we have is diverting weight from our trash program, and that saves us so much money, and I, I think that. If if we were to go back to uh, the throw away whatever you want, however you want it system, right now, it would have such a catastrophic financial implication on our community that we would regret that. Um, so it's easy to talk about it and say, oh, we can do this. It's easy. It's just It just takes political will. Mm. It doesn't just take political will. It actually takes finances. It actually takes mm. math to make it balance. Mm. And, and I think where we are right now, while I, w- you know, I don't enjoy having to go out and grab a blue bag uh, when I need to throw something away and I happen to have run out of bags and didn't expect it, um, you know, Councillor Sika, to her credit, has, I think has correctly identified the biggest issue is the fact that it's inconvenient. And one of the things that we learned, uh, and Councillor uh, Maria has tried to resolve this uh, with a recent paper that she submitted, is that when Stop and Shop locked out or when Stop and Shop uh, had the strike and, and people no longer could go to Stop and shop to, shop to get the blue bags, they realized that there was very limited locations where we could act, where they could actually get the blue bags. Um, so I think we need to start working on rolling out the blue, ba- blue bags to more retail establishments. Um, and there's a little bit of a disincentive there because all of the stores that carry the blue bags are actually doing us a huge favor because they can't mark it up. So they buy the, the bags for $2 each. They have to sell it for $2 each. So all we're doing is actually taking up space on their, on their shelves, and they're actually providing a, a service to our community. So I think we need to work more with our retail partners to, to, to get the blue bags in more locations so you don't feel like the only place you can go to get it is stop and shop. <laughs> Not only the the, uh, the stores that handle it don't make any money; uh, they le- indirectly they're really losing money because when you run your order through the cash register, and uh, uh, a lot of the credit card companies are promoting points. So, in effect, by the fee of the twenty dollars for the bag, mm-hmm. you add twenty dollars on the on the registered bill, and you use a credit card. You, you, you're, you're adding more points that you can redeem either in cash or use to pay your, um, uh, towards your, your next billing cycle or whatever. So the stores, maybe they're not thinking of it that way. At one point, um, I called one of the stores, it ended up that they became aware of it and they started to change the system in some fashion. But they, they, build the, uh, they ran the uh, banks through separately because there's not even a sales tax involved. Mm. They, the city got the state to agree to waive the the state t- sales tax on the back. So, anyway, it's kind of an interesting thing where stores do a public service, but and they do it not only at no profit, but they at a, at a small loss. Yeah, it's 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 not it's a very complicated issue. Yeah, I think that yeah. you know to kind of sum it up, you know. It's it's easy to do a soundbite that hey we need to get rid of the bags, yeah, yeah. but you know if, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, yeah, yeah. and you can't really uh, trust the snake oil salesman yeah. when it comes yeah. to this. Well, I don't think we have any any likelihood of the after, our, after the city went through what it did to get get it implemented and, and, and stagger to the point where there's overall I think the public uh, tends to accept what happens to be in place after a while. Um, and then you have new residents to the city, so with those ones coming in, they, they that's the that's the system, and that's the one that they uh, they de- deal with because that's what they, they know when they walk in the door. Whereas the people that were maybe here before said, "Why are we doing this now?" When they didn't do it before, but times change. Now, I don't know. Have you officially announced for your, your reelection? Uh, I I will officially announce now. Oh, okay. That's a, we'll scoop the city. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, to the community, to Ward 4, uh, I, I am formally running for re-election uh, in, 20, in 2019. Uh, I look forward to being on the, the November ballot and continuing to serve as the Ward 4 city councilor. Yeah. yeah. Now, it seemed to me uh, you you uh, you got elected against an incumbent when you first ran. Uh, actually, I didn't. Um, so I, I, was I, it an open seat? It was an open seat, but I had run against a, a previous councilor. Oh, time. that was it. That's what the community – okay. And, and, and I think two years ago you ran unopposed? And then I ran unopposed in uh, 2017. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we have a, a, a mayor's election this year in Malden. Um, 
this is already the first week in May, and um, to my knowledge, there's only publicly announced two candidates running, one of whom is running in uh, Ward 3, and apparently, although I don't know how official it is, supposedly the Ward 3 council may be running for mayor, which, which would then be an open seat, uh, and then the other candidate is running at large against what I assume is going to be three incumbents seeking re-election. But uh, it's, it seems, whether it's because of the, uh, it's the, time, the sign of the times, there's, there's not a lot of activity. Most of the people in the school committee seem to run out of polls. Sometimes they don't even have a, 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 a people take out papers. It's happened in Ward 1 and it happened in Ward 6 in a couple of elections. But... Um, Anyway, uh, most people that have the job don't look for opponents. But you yeah. find that changed a little bit since you first ran. Um, yeah, I think I think I think you know I think uh, races are healthy for our, for our democracy. I think it's yeah. I think it's important that people run on actual policy. Yeah. Uh, I think that you know character assassinations are are, are, are inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, and I think that when you actually talk about policy and history and what people have done and what they have not done, uh, and, and and the policies that people have have pushed forward. I think you have a debate on policy. Anything is good. It will progress the discourse. Good. Having people involved with different perspectives and different ideas is good for it. You just need to make sure that they're actual reality and not just, you know, smoke and mirrors. It has to be a real policy debate. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, at one time, um, maybe about 20 years ago, the, the school committee people used to run at large. There was five. Then I went to ward base. Is there any consideration of maybe that the old system might have been uh, more more sensible, even though it was, it was uh, less people on the school board, but you had a broader diversity in terms of running with it? I, I, I think for the most part, the people on, uh, on the school committee, on the ward basis, they're like, for the most part, invisible people. I mean, I don't think they're well-known at all. And, and once you get elected, and as it indicated a moment or two ago, the... Uh, in, in two different elections, there was nobody took turned in papers in one ward, and they had a writing candidate was successful, and the same thing happened another ward in a different year. I don't know whether there's any talk of that. Maybe once things are in place the way they are, they're just going to leave it. So I actually am on the Charter Review Committee, yeah. um, and we haven't talked about school committee yet, but I, one of our intentions is to bring the school committee in yeah. and to have more dialogue on the school yeah. committee. Yeah. Um, I don't have any uh, – I'm not married to anything at this point. Right now, it's purely just finding out how does the community feel, yeah. um, and how can we uh, how can we improve different areas of uh, of our administration, mm-hmm. the overall administration, not the current administration, uh, and the school committee is part of that. Um, but I'm looking forward to having the discussion so that the more feedback that people can give in terms of that, um, I think that the the gist of it in terms of why we have a ward-based system versus at-large is that there has, is a concern that, uh, you know, only one neighborhood will, will end up representing uh, the entire city, um, and they want some equity in terms of the ge- geographical location. I think there's ways we can do that and make it a, a little bit um, more, uh, to what you were saying, you know, a little bit more uh, balanced. Hmm. Now, um, have you got? You haven't got the budget, or you have got the budget yet from the mayor? We have not received the budget yet. Okay. No, we are anticipate. We are eagerly anticipating the budget. Soon. Yeah. Well, the state's talking about uh, giving an infusion of money to education. So uh, that that of course would be benefit Malden as as well as most other communities. And that's basically, I think, changing the formula too of the way that they. Uh, they provide the money to the community. So um, now, are you on the finance committee? I am on finance. Oh, you are. And you mentioned the school. I mean, we we need uh, we desperately need a chapter seventy uh, revamp. Yeah. Uh, the formula just doesn't make any sense, no. especially for a community like Malden, uh, where we have a a number of um, international students, uh, a number of English language learners. Uh, a, a lot of uh, you know the opioid epidemic has made it very difficult, uh, and any drug addiction. You know, if you, if you're growing up in a home. Where your parents have a have a substance abuse issue, no matter what it is, whether it's alcohol or anything, it, it's very difficult to have a a, a successful uh, career in school uh, if your home life is unstable. Uh, unfortunately, we have a high population like that, um, and, and the schools are the safety net. You know, we we don't have the Malden Public Schools don't have the ability to just push someone out into a different school district, um, and we are sometimes people's lifeline. 
Uh, and I think that it deserves the investment of the state. It also deserves the investment of Malden. Um, so we need to think about whether or not we need to invest more in, directly into our school system. You know, people have talked about, do we need another school? You know, do we need another elementary school or do we need a middle school? Um, I think that uh, there is a, everyone knows BB is overcrowded and that's really the only school on the east side of the city. Um, I've talked about maybe a proposal of trying to expand on top of the uh, former home school on Mount Nav uh, and trying to build up over it, kind of like what they have in Salemwood with parking underneath. Um, I think that we should be aiming high uh, and trying to, to figure out new revenue sources to, to, to build a new school because uh, our population is growing, our student population is growing, and the reason being is the fact that my generation is the baby boomers' children. So the baby boomers were the largest generation ever. And when they had kids, they gave birth to the next greatest generation ever. And now we are giving birth to the next, next greatest generation ever. And so millennials are now having children, uh, and we need to have a place to, to send our kids. Uh, and I am a proud public school product, uh, and I would only send my child to Malden Public Schools. Uh, and I think that we need to make sure that we're preparing for that. Um, so at this point, you haven't got the budget, and you'll have to make a decision by the end of June. Uh, but the state hasn't finalized it. Well, the state has really finalized the budget. They submitted it to the governor, and he, he vetoed some things. But that, for all practical purposes, at this point, you know pretty much what, mo what money you're going to get from the various sources you depend on from the state level. And uh, so now we just have to put together the other budget. Are there any anything in there that you, as one council view, as you think is going to make a priority in your mind to push for? So one thing that we have been sent down is is our uh, five-year capital improvement plan for water mains. Um, and that proposal uh, that was sent down, uh, I believe, is around $15 million. And uh, the council was very clear uh, that we are interested in making that a more substantial water main replacement program. Um, so I have had discussions with the administration as well as uh, the financial anal uh, analysts and Ron Hogan, Yem Lip, our city engineer, uh, and, and the, uh, the my fellow councilors. Um, and I do believe uh, there is a desire to expand that program. Uh, we have opportunities to, to get a little bit more revenue. Uh, we're going to be borrowing money from the MWRA, the Massachusetts Water Resource Authority, uh, and we can borrow a little bit more from them in the tune of 1.6 this year, uh, 1.6 million additional this year, and 1 million every year for the next five years. We pay for the casino money. Yeah, and there and there's casino money. <laughs> so I think that you know, in my opinion, you got to focus on the underground infrastructure first. You got to focus on the water mains and the lead service lines. Uh, and I think that we can we can expand that program a bit, uh, and we just need to kind of lead as a council. Yeah. Well, I, I um, had some other things to talk about, and you must have some other things that you haven't touched on yet, and you get a couple of more minutes. So, Ryan, if there's something you want to mention that I haven't talked to you about or you haven't brought up as yet, feel free to talk until I... Yeah. We're out of time. <laughs> you know, I, th I think that w one other thing that's kind of come up in, in, in this in this year, um, and it was also, I think, a little bit uh, misrepresented, um, you know, government transparency uh, and civic participation is, is the cornerstone of American democracy. You know, if, if, if you don't know what your city is doing or if you don't know what your government's doing, how can you ever expect to it actually be for and by the people? Uh, so when I, I studied classics in college at the College of the Holy Cross, Latin and Greek. I learned about ancient Rome and ancient Greece and how and Nero and, and the uh, the lead and the, and the fire and the fire <laughs> and the fire and the fire of Rome. You know, I think uh, Augustus and his and his revitalization of ancient Rome. You know, you you learn about the the start of democracy. You learn about the start of of the of republican forms of government. And I think that it's important that we get back to the basics. I think it's great. People should be coming down to city hall meetings, participating in our public comment for the first time ever, thanks to the leadership of Councillor Deputy Maria. Um, come on down, watch what your government's doing. Our democracy depends on it. Yeah, uh, and on that note, and I think that was a good point to remind people that you have a freedom of expression as an opportunity at council night on Tuesday. 
Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to stop by. Thank uh, you for having me. I'll see you on the campaign trail. And for those that are listening tonight, I think if they watch the show, they refer your friends. We're on Saturday and Sunday as a rerun. And again, thank you, Ryan, and look forward to uh, maybe some of the people you would, uh, and some of the issues just mentioned here, the people we talk when you knock on their door for their support in this current election. So Absolutely. thank you for being here tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah. The following program was produced by Community Producer.